Welcome to another message from Citizen Heights. We are located in the nation's capital, where our heart is to inspire hope, remove limitations, and help you experience God's possible for your life. Join Pastors Michael and Heather Giroux in their passion to help you live your best life. We hope you enjoy today's encouraging and uplifting message. Good morning, Citizen Heights. I am so excited and honored to have the opportunity to share with you this morning. Uh, I do want to thank our pastors for giving so many of us the opportunity to preach this summer. Uh, I have so enjoyed from hearing from several of our great leaders. Uh, It's so cool to be at a place where we have so many great leaders and pastors to inspire us. Um, We're truly blessed. If you've not had the opportunity to hear all of them, I encourage you to download the app and listen to them. I promise that you will learn and you will be encouraged. Uh, I do want to give a quick shout out to uh, my, you can clap if you want to. Okay. Feel free to interrupt at any time. I do want to give a quick shout out to my wife, Melissa. Um, We've been married for 30 years, and I can tell you that every—I know, I know, she's amazing for doing that. Um, but every year gets deeper and richer, and, uh, and um, so, love you. I also want to say hello to my daughters. I have three, for those of you that don't know, I have three daughters, all grown and in their 20s. And uh, two of them are not here this morning. One is uh, a traveling nurse who's working at an ICU in Dallas. And uh, my other is, uh, my youngest is doing an internship on a farm in Virginia. But uh, my middle daughter, Brooke, is here this morning. And... um, you know, it's funny when you're, when you're a kid and you're playing sports or doing something on stage or whatever, um, the only person that mattered to me when they were there was my dad. If my dad was there, it didn't matter if there were a thousand people or four people. What no one told me is that the reverse would happen when I got old. <laughs> and I just got to say, it is cool having my kid in the room whenever I do anything. And Brooke, I love you. So today we are in week seven of an eight-week series uh, in exploring Paul's letter to the church in Galatia, a region now known as Turkey. In week one, uh, Pastor Michael laid the foundation for our journey, starting in chapter one, where Paul reminds the Galatian church that Jesus came to set us free from both sin and legalism. Paul rebukes the church, in fact, for so quickly returning to a false gospel. Pastor Michael reviewed three false gospels that he has observed have crept into our current culture. First one was the good people gospel. The idea that basically we're all good people at heart and do we really even need a savior? The second false gospel he reviewed is the expressive individualism gospel. The idea that we just need to be true to ourselves and follow our heart and the authentic life is the way to salvation. And the last false gospel he reviewed is the good life only gospel. The idea that if you follow Jesus, you'll be guaranteed a happy, healthy, wealthy, trouble-free life. Just not true. In week two, Gaina Davila reviewed Galatians 2 and the theology of justification by faith alone. And we were reminded that justification is a divine act where God declares us to be righteous and acceptable before him because Jesus has borne our sin. And that the scripture is clear that we all have fallen short of the glory of God and need forgiveness. And that we can't of ourselves in any way earn that forgiveness. 
that forgiveness and justification come solely by our faith in the work of Jesus on the cross. Then in week three, Daryl Dudley reviewed Galatians 3, where Paul reminds us of the promise of the Holy Spirit. He reviewed the purpose of the Holy Spirit to help us and to convict us of our sin and to be a source of wisdom and direction in our lives. And, and that the Holy Spirit is a free gift that we don't earn, and that through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can be enabled to help others to encounter and experience the freedom that Christ brings. Week four, Trevor Mysiri discussed our maturation from children in bondage to sin, to freedom from sin as sons and daughters of God, to fully mature heirs of the kingdom of God. That our freedom from sin includes freedom from the end result of sin, which is death. That our, our full inheritance includes eternal life. Week five, Chase and Smith taught us about walking in the Spirit. He showed us the importance of not only what we are free from, but what we are free to. That we are free from slavery to sin and the burden of the law and free to walk in the Spirit and bear the fruits of the Spirit. Last week, Joey Olmo brought us to chapter 6, which is where we are continuing today. Although I got to say, from one girl dad to another, uh, that the picture of his rock star princess definitely stole the show. If you were not here, I'm sorry. So in the first four chapters of Galatians, Paul lays out the foundation of the theology of grace, and salvation, and justification. He rebukes the church for allowing wrong thinking to cloud their view of salvation and for adding externalities to what is required for salvation. The first four chapters are about how we should rightly think. In chapter 5 and 6, Paul turns to the practical application of our life of freedom. He transitions into a review of how we should live. Now that it's established that we are free in Christ, no longer living under the bondage of sin, how does that impact our life and what does it look like? The first part of chapter 6, Paul begins to show us what the journey of our our life of freedom looks like. And he reminds us, first of all, that we are not alone in the journey. As Pastor Joey reviewed, we are admonished, admonished to bear one another's burdens. We don't live this life in isolation. Verse 1 reminds us that, that while we who are in Christ are indeed free from the bondage of sin, we still live in a fallen world where sin exists. And Paul exhorts us to be watchful for sin in both our own lives and in our brothers' and sisters' lives. That In our journey, we bear a responsibility to watch out for each other that we are, in fact, our brother's keeper. My observation is that we tend to be excellent at noticing the transgressions of our brothers and sisters. The humility required for the second part of that verse may be a little more elusive. Our call, Paul says, is, is not merely to notice the sin in others, but in a spirit of gentleness and kindness and humility to seek full restoration of them. Gentleness, because that is the way of the Holy Spirit promised us through the work of Christ. And humility, because as Paul reminds us, we will also be tempted and may succumb to temptation. And often the sin that we most easily recognize in others is the sin that we ourselves most struggle with. Paul also is pointing out that part of the temptation is to think of ourselves as better than our brother or sister. As the Passion Translation puts the verse, keep watch over your own heart so that you won't be tempted to exalt yourself over him. 
Paul makes it very clear that a life of freedom in Christ is an outward-focused life. Paul puts such high regard in that statement that then, in fact, in Galatians 2, he links it to fulfilling the law of Christ. But wait, you may say, I thought we were set free from the law. And so here we have a challenge to our view of that word freedom. I think many of us, myself included, would, would view freedom as the ability to make our own choices, to do what we want when we want. And while that might be true in a, in a natural or a legal sense, what Paul is saying here is that, that spiritually we are free from the bondage of sin and death. We're free from both the draw to a life of sin, and we're also free from the burden of producing our own salvation. But that in this freedom, we are enabled to live the life that God intended for us all along. The law of Christ is the law of love. To love the Lord our God with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, all of our strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. And who is our neighbor? Well, Jesus taught us that our neighbor is anyone who needs our help. So today we're going to explore Galatians 6, verses 7 through 10. And here it says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the life of freedom that, that you promise us and that you enable us to have. I pray as we review these few verses that you would reveal yourself to us in a deep and a real way. In Jesus' name, amen. So my plan this morning is to go through these four verses, verse by verse, and just see what we can learn from what Paul is saying about how this life of freedom can be lived. So start in verse 7. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. So here Paul turns to a discussion of the spiritual principle of biblical sowing and reaping. But he starts out by once again challenging us to not be deceived. And I find this interesting because also in verse 3, he warns us against self-deceit. So clearly, this must be something that we are good at. So easy is it to convince ourselves that what we think or what we see is correct, that we have the right story, that we have the right interpretation, that we have the right narrative, and, and that we see ourselves and our motives correctly, and also that our version of others is correct. So good at it are we that Paul even says we can deceive ourselves about God and his justice. Don't be deceived, though, because we can't fool God. We might think we can for a minute and think that we've pulled one over on him, but we can't fool God. The New Living Translation puts it this way. Don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. You know, the Bible has a lot to say about the principle of sowing and reaping. In fact, there's over 60 verses about it, and Jesus spoke of it often. Remember, too, that the, col the cultural context here is that, that Paul is speaking to an agrarian society. 
I would say in today's world that we have mostly an agrarian adjacent society. We sort of generally understand seeds and planting and harvesting, but we don't live a life that is as easily defined as the church in Galatia would have. The extent of my experience with planting seeds is scattering some seeds on my lawn, hoping to make it look better. I have planted some things in my life, but even then it's mostly going to a nursery or a big box store and coming home and digging a hole. One of Melissa's favorite days of spring is the day that we go to one of those stores and pick out a bunch of herbs and flowers to come home and plant on our uh, our little arbor that we have on our back deck. And and after that, every day she comes home and and lovingly and caringly cares for them and waters them and and prunes them. And, And then we all take such great joy on those days when we can bring in some of our own mint and rosemary and thyme and use them. It's just this cool experience. But the Galatians understood sowing and reaping at a very deep, deep level. It didn't have to be explained to them. They understood fully the process, the importance of timing and, and the care involved in protecting the seed and overseeing the growth of the plant, the time and effort required in watering and nourishing the plant. They knew the patience required, that the harvest could not be forced, that no matter how much they wanted the result now, they had to wait. In due season, the harvest would come. They also understood that whatever they planted, that's what they harvested. This is a law of nature. You plant a fig seed, you grow a fig tree, and you harvest a fig. You plant a wheat seed, you grow and harvest wheat. And Paul here is revealing to us that just as this is true in the natural, it's also true in the spiritual. As we move on to verse 8, it says, For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Verse 8 really is the core of this passage, the spiritual law of sowing and reaping. Yes, we're free from the law of Moses, from the law of sin and death, but there are still consequences to our actions. And in the natural, our sowing and reaping are are temporal. They happen here on earth. But in in the spirit, our sowing and reaping are of eternal consequence. Again, we've been gifted a life of freedom, but that is not freedom to live every moment only as we desire. Because if we sow only to our carnal desires, we will reap only corruption. I'd like to read verse 8 in two other translations because I think it helps to broaden our picture of what Paul is saying. And um, quick sidebar, if you are new to the practice of Bible study, I would encourage you to read meaningful verses to you in different translations because it really can help broaden your understanding of it. Translating from one language to another is actually a really hard thing to do, and often some nuance and breadth and depth is lost. And one of the ways to learn a bigger picture of what the, that verse is saying is to read it in different translations that might pull out some of that nuance. So the New Living Translation puts verse 8 this way, Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. The Passion Translation says, The harvest you reap reveals the seed that was planted. If you plant the corrupt seeds of the self-life into this natural realm, you can expect to experience a harvest of corruption. But if you plant the good seeds of spirit life, you will reap the beautiful fruits that grow from the everlasting life of the Spirit. 
Before we review further uh, more about the biblical uh, uh, principle of sowing and reaping, I think it might be helpful to also identify some things that biblical sowing and reaping is not. The first thing that it is not is biblical sowing and reaping is not just a Christian version of karma. Karma teaches that whatever we experience, both good and bad, is entirely a result and a summation of our previous experience. I mean, excuse me, of our previous actions. And that whatever happens is inevitable. In contrast, biblical sowing and reaping is a result of our response to the grace of God. The second thing that biblical sowing and reaping is not is that it is not prescriptive or formulaic. As humans, we often crave certainty, and it's tempting to bring this desire for certainty to our journey with the Lord. But biblical sowing and reaping is not just a list of things that if we do them, we can produce a certain response from God. An example of that I have is, is let's take parenting. As parents, man, we want to know the list. Like, what's the thing that I do that if I do this, I will produce a child that is a functioning human being who loves the Lord? And, right? Every parent is like, yes. And man, when my girls were younger, like, I searched for that list. I went to every class I could and read every book, and I got the list, and I worked that list hard. But as they grew, the reality hit me that there is no formula. There is no perfect list. There is only serving and sowing and loving and relying on the grace and guidance of the Holy Spirit and believing that he will take care of our children. And so it is with every area of our lives. Another thing that is valuable for us to consider before we review further the principle of sowing and reaping is, is a kind of warning. And that warning is this. It is very tempting when we evaluate the practical side of our walk with the Lord to fall back into our own version of adding things that are necessary to produce salvation. This is something I have struggled with for sure. And this is exactly what Paul rebuked the Galatian church for in chapter 1. They made it salvation. They made salvation grace plus circumcision. What I find interesting in that is that circumcision for them was not just an act. It was an identity. In their mind, it was core to what separated them from others. And for Paul to remind them that it was not necessary was to remove a part of their identity from the process of salvation. And it, it makes me wonder what pieces of our identity do we allow to get wrapped up into our walk with the Lord and become entangled with our image of salvation. But it is essential to remember that these practical applications are not ways that we produce our salvation. As Paul reviews in the first four chapters, salvation is entirely and wholly and completely God's grace. Instead, as Paul discussed in chapter 5, when he reviewed the fruits of the Spirit, sowing and reaping are fruits or evidence of our right relationship with God. Once we have salvation, we can, by God's grace and gift, walk in the Spirit, and that is demonstrated by our actions. This is clearly not how we produce salvation, but instead what salvation produces in us, and that is a paramount 
distinction. So if we are to live a life of sowing and reaping, to me it begs the question, what seeds do we have? So I'd like to briefly review four seeds that I think we are all given and that we all have the freedom to sow as we desire. The first of these is time. We're all given an allotment of time. We all have the same number of hours in a day and days in a week and weeks in a year. How are we sowing that seed? I I think here we should also be reminded what we learned in verses four and five of this chapter, which is that we're careful not to deceive ourselves that we don't compare ourselves to our neighbor, and that we remember that in the end, we're evaluated for our own actions. Are we using our time to sow seeds with eternal perspective, to bear one another's burdens? Are we endeavoring to be good stewards of the time that we are given? Also, as review these seeds, don't fall into the trap of condemnation. Condemnation is not from the Holy Spirit. Condemnation seeks to trap us like a vehicle stuck in deep mud that just can't move. But the Holy Spirit brings conviction, and conviction inspires us to change. There's also wisdom required in the use of these seeds. A wise farmer doesn't scatter seeds without purpose, without direction. Wise use of time, for example, must include time for rest and retreat, time in the Word of God, time in the presence of God, time for good stewardship of our physical body with exercise and nutrition. Colossians 4, 5 says, Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. Ephesians 5, 15 and 16 says, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. The challenge Paul is giving us in Galatians 6 is to remember that these seeds can be sown with eternal perspective or with temporal perspective. My challenge to all of us is to be willing to self-reflect and to ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to us areas where we have opportunity to have a more eternal perspective. The, the question for each of these seeds is what harvest do you want to produce? The second seed that we all have is resources. This would include talents, skills, finances. These are, again, seeds that we can sow for our own pleasure, or we can sow them with eternal and spiritual perspective. What talents have you been given? What sphere of influence do you, ha- do you have? What arena do you find yourself in? Do you look for ways that an eternal mindset could influence what you do? Colossians 3.17 says, Whatever you do or say, do it as a, re- as a representative of the Lord Jesus. I find for me that a simple practice that helps is at the beginning of each day to simply say, Jesus, help me to see where you're at work in my life today. Help me to recognize those moments when I can be your hands and your feet and bring your light to someone. And I'm confident that if you live life with that perspective, that you'll be amazed at how often you'll be given the opportunity to sow seeds with eternal consequence. You are not just a carpenter or lobbyist or artist or mom or dad or political advisor or attorney or teacher. You are a son or daughter of God. You are an emissary of Christ, an ambassador of the Lord, commissioned by God to take every opportunity to bring his light and his truth and his love to those around us. So let's be those who make it a practice to sow whatever we seed we have with eternal perspective. The third seed that we all have is our words. 
The Bible has a lot to say about our words. Our words can bring healing and health, and they can bring death and destruction. How are you sowing your words? Proverbs 18, 21, life and death are in the power of our tongue. James 1, 26, if you claim to be religious, but don't control your tongue, you are fooling yourself, and your religion is worthless. Yikes. Ephesians 4.29, don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. Matthew 12.33 and 36, a tree is identified by its fruit. If a tree is good, its fruit will be good. If a tree is bad, its fruit will be bad. And I tell you this, you must give an account on judgment day for every idle word you speak. Colossians 4, 6, let your, I love this one, let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. Clearly, our words have eternal consequence. They are seeds that we sow. Are we sowing seeds of life or seeds of death? The last seed that I think all of us have is actions. Colossians 1 verse 10 says this, we pray that you would walk in the ways of true righteousness, pleasing God in everything you do. Then you'll become fruit-bearing branches yielding to his life and maturing in the rich experience of knowing God in his fullness. I think one of the best examples of our actions having eternal consequences is seen in Jesus' well-known parable of the Good Samaritan. In this story, a person is traveling along a busy trade route, and he's mugged and left on the side of the road to die. And a priest, and then a Levite, or a spiritual person, come by, and they see the dying man, and they cross over to the other side to avoid him. And then a Samaritan, who is a person despised by the people of Jesus' time because of his ethnic descent, sees him, takes action, brings him to a place of safety, back to full health. When you read that story, who do you see yourself as? It is tempting to see ourselves as the Samaritan, the hero of the story. But I know that personally, I find it all too easy to play the part of the priest or the, or the religious Levite who crossed to the other side of the road. And Jesus' call to us is to sow eternal seeds with our actions, to instead to be willing to kneel next to the neighbor in need and bring them practical and real help. So I'm aware that I started this by saying that biblical sowing and reaping is not a list. And then I gave you a list. <laughs> and I could have added many more. But the underlying key here is allowing the Holy Spirit to breathe on us, to guide us and to direct us and to show us where our perspective needs to shift. And as I was thinking about this morning, I, I realized too that there's a couple of responses that, that, that could happen in your heart as I go through this. And, and the first is for you to think that you don't have a seed. And let me just tell you that is just not true. God has given each of us seed, and in fact, the Bible says that he gives seed to the sower. And whatever seed you have, no matter how small, if you are faithful to sow it with eternal perspective, then in due season, God will bring the right harvest. The second response could be to feel like you have wasted what seed you had. 
And, and to that, let me just say that God's grace is always there, new every morning, to redeem your life, to redeem your seed, and it is about where you move forward, not where you have come from. So as we move to verse 9, it says, And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we don't give up. Verse 9, Paul acknowledges the reality that sowing can become hard. I find this encouraging because I find it to be true to real life. The word used here for weary could also be translated exhausted. I find in my own journey there are times when I grow tired. Tired of the unrelenting nature of life. Do you ever get that feeling? And here Paul is coming alongside us like the coach that knows just what to say. Come on, he says, you can do it. Just don't give up and you will see the reward. Really what it often comes down to is patience and timing in due season. As an obstetrician, I have a close-up view of what it looks like to be waiting for something. Pregnancy is hard, and the last trimester can be brutal. And many times moms will look at me and ask me with a tone of desperation, do you know when I'm going to have this baby? And the truth is I don't, at least not most of the time. There are times, though, when we know when we're going to induce, and I'll give them a date. And what I see in those situations is a flash of relief. Because once they know exactly how much longer they must suffer, there is a sense of, okay, I can do this. And one of the challenges in life is that rarely do we have certainty for when due season is. We can be confident, though, that there will be a day. And here Paul is reminding us that that our sowing has eternal result and eternal reward. If we remain steadfast in sowing good seed, our faithful God will, without fail, produce a harvest. So wherever you find yourself in your own journey, let me encourage you today. Don't give up. Keep on doing good. Keep on sowing whatever seed God has given you. And finally, we come to verse 10. So then as we have every opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially those who are of the household of faith. And here Paul simply reiterates what he's been saying, keeping all of this in mind, remembering the spiritual principle of sowing and reaping and, and remembering the law of Christ, which is love, remembering that we're to bear one another's burdens, take every opportunity to do good to everyone. And then he adds to me a very interesting phrase, and especially to other Christians. And to be honest with you, I struggled with this phrase when I first read it. Because it it seems a little self-serving and awkwardly, inwardly focused. Then as I meditated, I I realized that that the reality is, is that we often know the faults of those in our own family and our own community the best. And we can sometimes be hardest on those we love. And here Paul is bringing us all the way back to the beginning of the chapter. In our journey, we bear one another's burdens. As a community, we have each other's back. We allow God's grace and love to season all that we say and all that we do. Let's be committed to be those who faithfully sow whatever seed we have with eternal perspective. Would you bow your heads with me for a moment?
book of Galatians is such a powerful book, really one of my favorites. Such a promise of a life of true freedom that can be lived in Christ. The promise that guilt and shame of sin can be removed and that the burden to produce our own salvation can be lifted. And I would just like to take the opportunity here this morning that if, if you have not decided or have not had the opportunity to begin this journey, if you're here this morning and you realize that you are not living this life of freedom that we're describing, I invite you to start that journey today. This life of freedom we're talking about is a free gift of grace that Jesus gives us as a result of his sacrifice for our sins with his death on the cross. And if you'd like to begin this journey today, I would ask you to be so bold as to raise your hand so that we can know who you are. I'll pause for just a moment. Jesus is calling to you and inviting you to begin this walk with him. But everyone, please join me in, in this prayer by repeating after me. Dear Jesus, I acknowledge my sin and my need for you. Please forgive me for all I have done. Thank you for your free gift of grace. Help me to now live my life for you. Help me to live my life with eternal perspective. In Jesus' name, amen.